0: Let's pray. Lord, how wonderful it is to encounter your word week after week, hopefully even day after day. We are so thankful for the the truth and the insight and the blessing that we receive. May you bless us this morning as we open our hearts and minds to receive what you have to speak to us this day. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. A number of years ago, I was asked to counsel at a camp, and that was a special kind of camp. It was different than what most other camps were about. It was for high schoolers, but each of us counselors, our leaders, our goal was to train the high schoolers, the youth, to run the camp themselves. And so it was held at Point Loma College, and whenever there was... Uh, activity during that day the, the kids would do the the lights they would do the sound they would do the staging they would they would do the program they would run everything and so each day our job as counselor was to train them and teach them and lead them and guide them so that they could they could do the work my job was to take some musicians and to put together a jazz band I had three days to teach them three songs And then the last night of the last day, uh, I didn't even direct them. I just put them on stage and started them and locked off the stage. And they played the music by themselves. Now, there was one exception to this. And that was that each day they had a special speaker come and speak to the kids. And one of the days, the speaker was Tony Campolo. And I don't know if you've heard of him. But Tony Campolo is a very well-known, very popular speaker. Christian speaker, one of my favorite speakers. And at the end of his time, when he was done, one of the leaders said to me, Tony has to go to the airport right away. Will you drive him back to the airport? I was so excited because that meant for about 30 minutes or so, I got to sit in the car with Tony Campolo and ask him questions and talk to him and pick his brain and listen to him. Just me and Tony. It was a great experience. Is there someone that you would like to talk to? Maybe someone you would like to meet. Maybe you would some, someone you would like to ask questions and, and find out more information. I bet that for many of you, you have someone that you would love to meet. Well, this morning as we come to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 14, I hope you think about I'd really like to meet Jesus. If I had the chance to meet Jesus, that would be a great thing. I would love to to drive Jesus to the airport and spend 30 minutes in the car with him, asking him questions and talking to him, right? And As we look at the Gospel of Matthew chapter 14, we're going to see what happens when people get to meet Jesus, what experiences they have in their life. In the early part of the Gospel of Matthew chapter 14, we see that John the Baptist dies. He's killed. Remember, a few chapters back, he got upset at King Herod for divorcing his wife and taking his brother's wife. And so uh, John the Baptist spoke out, and he was imprisoned by King Herod, and ultimately now he was killed. And Jesus hears about this, and we're told in Matthew 14:13, when Jesus heard What had happened? He withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Jesus was grieving over the death of John the Baptist. He was saddened by this experience. He wanted to go off to be alone. But that time did not last very long because as we continue, hearing of this, the crowds followed Jesus on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, read the yellow with me, He had compassion on them and healed their sick. Even in the midst of his sadness, even in the midst of his grieving, Jesus saw the need of the people around him, and he took the time to care for their needs. We can learn a lot from Jesus. But it's good to have that time of grieving and sadness. There's times when we encounter others who have needs, and we should take the time to care for them, as Jesus did time and time again. So he's with the people and he's healing them. And this healing goes on for a while because we are told in the scriptures that evening is approaching. Okay? So he's there for a long time caring for them and and reaching out to them and healing them. And the disciples start to get nervous because, like I said to the children, there's more than 5,000 people there. And it's getting late, and they realize these people are going to be hungry. And they don't have the resources to meet their needs. They can't provide for that many people. And so they go to Jesus, and they say, Jesus, send them away. Send them away, because if you send them away, then, I mean, they didn't say this in the Scripture, but I bet they were saying, if you send them away, then we won't have to deal with them. We won't have to deal with this problem. They can fend for themselves, take for themselves, send them away, and then we don't have to worry about what to do next. See, in our own lives, oftentimes, we think about our own limited strength and power. How often do we fail to seek the Lord's wisdom and power to help us in our time in need? How often do we not look to the broader approach of what God might want to do in and through our lives, as opposed to what our own solution Might be. How often do we fail to see that God has much greater power and resources than we do? That God is right there with us, just as He is with the disciples. How often do we miss out on the opportunity to let others see the power and the presence and the love of God working in and through your life and my life to help us through? predicament so that others will see God working in us and see the power of God at work but we see here that Jesus has another solution a solution that will require the faith of the disciples the the trust of the disciples the humility of the disciples and Jesus says to them and read it with me they do not need to go away you give them something to eat now, we've probably have all been in a situation where we've had a boss, right? And your boss gives you an assignment, right? Maybe sometimes you received an assignment that thought, I don't know how to do this, or this is, this, this is not possible. I would imagine the disciples were thinking this. We have just been given an assignment, and this assignment is not possible. The only way it's possible, I'm sure they're thinking, is we have to trust in Jesus. Somehow we need Jesus to help us in this predicament. We can't do this on our own. But they don't see that yet because they respond to Jesus in Matthew 14, 17. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish. This is not possible. Jesus, look. Look at this. Five loaves of bread, two fish. Look at all the people out there. The numbers don't match up. Right? Numbers don't match up. I'm sure you and I, if we were given the same predicament, we'd say the same thing. Five loaves of bread and two fish not add up to feeding more than 5,000 people. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 reminds us, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, says God. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, what? So are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Jesus knows the power he possesses. Jesus knows that he is not tied to the physics of this world. Jesus knows what is possible through the power of God. And so Jesus says these profound words in verse 18 when he says, Bring them here to me. Bring them here to me. These are the words we need to hear today. Bring them here to me. That is what we are to be about. Bring our lives and our resources to Jesus so that he can bless them and multiply them and use them to bless others around us. Bring them here to me. So that people can be fed. Now I'm not talking about physically being fed. I'm talking about spiritually being fed. Jesus will feed the 5,000 people with the five loaves of bread and the two fish. He will do a miracle in that way. And in the end we read in Matthew 14, 20 to 21, they all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. 12 basketfuls were left over. 12 basketfuls. What we need to understand here is that Jesus feeds the people with physical food. But what he ultimately is concerned with is their spiritual well being. He wants them to be spiritually fulfilled as well. See, they know about their physical need, but so many of them do not know about their spiritual need. In the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, verse 34, he talks about this same story. And in that story, uh, he talks about Jesus saying, Jesus had compassion on them because he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. They were lost spiritually. Jesus knew that their greater need, their greater desire should have been the spiritual food that they could have received from Jesus. How many people do we know that are lost in this way. All around us are people who are spiritually hungry. We look around and it seems too great a problem. We look at our church and we think there's not enough people to deal with all the needs in our community. There's not enough resources in our church to deal with the challenges that we have in ministry. We can't do it. But what does Jesus say? Bring them to me. Give your resources to Jesus and see Jesus act in powerful and miraculous ways. When we bring people to Jesus, we will see God take care of their needs. I want you to remember that thought. When we bring people to Jesus, we will see God take care of their needs. Bring them to me. Let me ask you this. What do you do when you're tired? Now, if you're physically tired, you probably say, well, I'll take a nap. Or maybe you start to reflect upon, am I getting enough sleep at night? Maybe that's why I'm physically tired, right? So then you might try to go to bed a little earlier and get a little bit more sleep, right? But oftentimes, when we feel tired, it's not because we're physically tired. Maybe it's because we're mentally or emotionally or spiritually tired. When you're tired in this way, have you ever tried to just pray? To think that maybe if I pray, then that tiredness will leave me? This is often what Jesus did. We, we see that Jesus here has a long day of ministry, of healing, of, of teaching, of dealing with people. And in Matthew fourteen twenty two, Jesus sends the disciples off in the boat so that he can go off by himself and pray he knows that he needs some time to pray he tells them he'll catch up with them later and they probably wonder well how is that possible because they're they're sailing across the Sea of Galilee which takes about two or three hours by boat but by walking it takes three to five days to walk around the Sea of Galilee so how is Jesus going to catch up with them maybe in a few days I guess they figure We're told in Matthew 14, 23, after Jesus dismissed them, he went up to a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. He goes on the mountainside to pray alone, to spend time with the Father, to regenerate his spirits. Maybe he's compelled to pray for others, for those who he fed physically, but knew that they needed to be drawn to him. To receive that spiritual nourishment, maybe he was praying for the disciples, and as they are walking with him, that they would learn and that they would be the leaders they need to become, or maybe for the safety while they're going out on on the sea. Jesus needs time to pray to prepare for further works. So oftentimes, we need to spend time in prayer. Pray for that that connection with God. Pray for that filling of the Spirit. Pray for the guidance of God's will in our lives. Pray for the, the desire to fulfill the call that he has for each one of us. Pray for those who are lost. We need to take time to pray. What is the most fantastic thing you've ever seen? Maybe on TV you saw a spacecraft go to the moon and back. Maybe you've been to some great site like Grand Canyon. Maybe you or a loved one has survived cancer. There are amazing things that we see in our world all around us, don't we? But here in Matthew 14, we see something that is very different. Because after Jesus finishes praying, he does something that is magnificent. He goes and walks on the water. Matthew 14.25, Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. I mean, I read that and I thought, well, Matthew says that so matter-of-factly, as if it's something that just happens all the time, right? Jesus just went out and walked on the lake. But it's not an, such an amazing thing. But for Jesus it was, wasn't it? I mean, Jesus knew that he was going to do this. That's why he wasn't worried when he sent the disciples ahead of him. I'll catch up to you later, he says. Maybe if he had told them, I'm going to walk on the lake, I'll just catch up to you later, you know, don't worry about it. Maybe they would have received that better, right? I don't know. I don't think they would have believed Jesus if he had told them that. For the disciples, it was something quite fantastic. Matthew 14, 26. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. They didn't see it to be Jesus right away, did they? They were terrified. I mean, what is this creature walking on the lake toward us, right? The wind is howling. The waves are splashing on the boat. It's loud. It's kind of eerie. It's dark. Maybe there's lightning. And they see this figure walking towards them on the lake. Jesus tries to calm their fear, right? He says, do not be afraid, it's I. (laughs) I don't know if they could really hear his voice that well in all of this noise and all of the storm. But then Peter responds. He says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. Wow, that's some great faith, isn't it? Peter said, is that really you, Lord? Tell me to come. Now, I don't know if he really meant it, Or if it was just something that he did to look good in front of the other disciples. Have you ever told one of those tall tales and someone calls you on it and says, I don't believe you. Prove it. And then you have to back up your actions, your words with your actions, right? Well, that happened to Peter, didn't it? Because Jesus says, come, Peter, come. (laughs) Now the disciples are like, yeah, go, Peter, (laughs) go. And he's in this moment of truth, right? What am I going to do? I said I would go, and Jesus is calling me out. Am I going to do it? Am I really going to try to walk on the water? Matthew 14, 29 to 30. Come, Jesus said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind... He was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. For a moment, we see Peter's faith, don't we? The Lord has called him out. He steps down. He starts to walk in the water. And as long as he's looking at Jesus, long as he's looking at Jesus, right? His eyes are on Jesus. He's walking on the water. But then all of a sudden, he feels the wind. He hears the wind. He sees the waves. And he looks down. And what happens? he sinks. As soon as he sees all of this around him, he sinks. He was doing the unimaginable. He was walking on water. And then he looked at it and probably thought, what am I doing? This is impossible. And he looks down and he sinks. Now, I have to give it to him that he did have faith enough to go out to Originally walk in the water, right? And he had enough faith to call out to Jesus to save him when He was sinking. See, our problem is like that of Peter's. Too often we look, we stop looking at Jesus and we start to look at our situation. We start to look at our problem. We forget about Jesus, and we think about our own limitations. We start to calculate what is possible and what is not. And I'm sure that happened to Peter. He began to calculate what is possible and what is not. What I'm doing is not possible. It's not physically possible. I don't understand how this is happening. Boom, he sinks. And how often do we get in the midst of a situation, of a trial, of a hardship, of a problem, and we think, it's too big, I can't do it. I don't have the resources. I don't have the know-how. I don't have the ability. And we begin to sink. It goes against the law of nature. So how can I do this? C.S. Lewis, the great apologist, said in regards to miracles, said this The real reason why I can accept as historical a story in which a miracle occurs is that I have never found any philosophical grounds for the universal negative proposition that miracles don't happen. People will say that they do not believe in miracles, they might not have faith. That miracles happen, but when they encounter an actual miracle, they don't know what to do with it. They don't know how to explain it. They may discount the miracles, but they don't know what to do when they are faced with an actual miracle. When we bring people to Jesus, we will see them do great things for God's glory. We will see miracles happen. You want to see miracles happen? Have the faith to keep your eyes focused on Jesus, believing in miracles through Jesus, working in and through you. I've told you about many years ago when I was playing soccer and I I hurt my foot very bad. I don't know if it broke it, my toe, but it was. I taped it up at halftime, I played the rest of the game. At the end of the game, I untaped it. Oh my gosh, it was so painful. It was just terrible. The next day, I was supposed to go off to counsel at another camp. And I'm thinking, how am I going to do this? I'm going to be a counselor of all these junior hires, right? All the energy of junior hires, right? I'm going to be running around, but I can't run around. And so I prayed, Lord, heal my foot. And I went to sleep. And the next day, when I woke up, my foot was healed. I told you before about how. Uh, group, our small group prayed for our friend who had a, a knee injury, bad knee injury. He was going to have to have surgery on the knee. We laid hands on his knee. We prayed for his knee, and his knee was healed. Went to the doctor the next day. The doctor didn't know what to say other than, you don't need surgery anymore. His knee, knee was hurt, healed. I told you before about my former secretary who was on her deathbed, and her, her family called me to the hospital, and I prayed over her. And I prayed with her family And I didn't even really know how to pray, but I prayed anyway that God would be with her and that God would heal her if that was in his will. The doctors had had said, there's nothing more we can do. And the next day, she was still alive. And the next day, she was still alive. And then she started to get better. And now, 16-plus years later, she is still alive. Arlene and Gloria know her well. Miracles do happen. But these are all stories of physical healing. There are many other ways that we can be healed. First, we are healed from our sin reigning in our lives when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Sin no longer reigns in our life when Jesus is our Lord and our Savior. Second, we are healed from particular sins that keep us from Jesus when we commit ourselves to Jesus. Jesus. I don't know if you think about your life before you were a Christian and some of the the sins that you were encountering, that you were dealing with, that were, were lording themselves over you. I know I've had many in my life, and I came to know Jesus, and I prayed that God would take them away, and he did. Third, we might be healed from a particular ailment, as I mentioned before, all the different ways physically we could be healed. Fourth, we are healed from our selfishness, that is, our makeup, because of our sin. When we become Christ followers, we are led to care for others, sometimes even before ourselves. Fifth, God can heal broken relationships, broken marriages, conflict that we experience. God can heal that. There are so many ways that God heals us. See, God is in the business of healing the end of Matthew chapter 14, there's a great story about this. Verses 34 to 36. We're told, when they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized Jesus, they sent word to all the surrounding country. People brought all their sick to him and begged him to let the sick just touch the edge of his cloak. And all who touched it were healed. Here is a situation where Jesus didn't even have to speak words. He didn't even have to tell them, you are healed. They had the kind of faith that they believed that just by touching the hem of his robe, just by connecting them with Jesus in some way, would heal them. And all who touched his cloak were healed. When we bring people to Jesus, they are touched by his power and his healing. Do you need healing today? You need to come to Jesus. Find one of our prayer people. We'll pray for you for healing. Maybe you need someone that needs the touch of Jesus. We need to bring people to Jesus. The story of a young man who desperately was seeking God, and he knew of an older man who knew God well, and so he came to him, and he asked him, how can I see God? more fully. How can I come to know God? And the old man thought for a moment, and then he said to them these words, you can only see God when you give your heart fully to Jesus. Then you will be given eyes to see. There are people all around us who do not see God, who do not experience the presence and the power of Jesus We need to bring them to Jesus so that they can know of his presence, they can know of his glory, they can know of his power, they can know of his healing, they can know of his love, they can know of his salvation. I pray that we would daily commit ourselves to do this. Whenever God brings that person into our lives, our first thought is, the words of Jesus, bring them to me.